Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the podcast from The Practical Medium, and I'm Michelle, as practically always, ever practically, the medium. I think. Sometimes. I'm not sure. But then again, my reality is subjective, and as Adam Savage once famously said, I reject your reality and substitute my own. So, on that note, uh, yes, I realize it has been a while, and I have given up on trying to keep myself accountable. There was just too much... There's just too much crap that's gone on with COVID, to be honest, with the way life has changed and is always changing. And then you get to about the um, middle of February and I'm freezing my ass off in here. Even though I took great pains to make this place warmer this winter, it's still, you can't really do a whole lot against, you know, days and days of zero degree temperatures and ice dams on coming off your apartment building's roof and just trying to stay warm and if I were to turn off my furnace which is a problem because it makes so much noise right behind me when I'm trying to podcast that I'd have to stop or I'd have to turn off the furnace rather and it would be just too damn cold in here even wearing a blanket and using a, a floor fan a floor heater it was just too many problems and then I'm having to take care of myself taking care of family's stuff who's out on vacation. Uh, it was a hard it was a hard month and a half. So things are back to normal. I'm seemingly back to normal. And so I'm back on the podcast trail. So the yeah, uh, it's this and I I I kvetch about the stuff kvetch rather. I will get corrected by somebody on that, I know. Uh, mainly because it just goes to show that the life of a medium as I'm always saying is just as annoying and persnickety and irritating as it is for everybody when it comes to demands on time and living conditions you know and how they affect your ability to do things and when you're already got a physically compromised body and that I'm a paper tiger I'm always thinking I'm stronger than I really am but I have in reality my quite a few share of minor <clears throat> autoimmune system issues it's not true lupus it's just that my body's immune system is way overreactive. So some days I can be wiped out completely. And then I have bursitis in it hip. And I decided to try, much to my chagrin, taking painkiller for a few days to break the pain cycle, which wound up causing my AFib to start up. And AFib messes with the head because the, the heart rate is out of whack with itself. And when it stops and normalizes, you feel like pure shit afterwards. So I did find an alternative way to get the uh, the bursitis under control. So thankfully for that. And I know better now not to use pain reliever because it will mess me up. But lidocaine for the win. Uh, judicious use in case anybody who's looking to try it. Of lidocaine works. You don't want to be using it all the time, all day long. It can get make you toxic. But for short periods of time of need, it is perfect. So... Now that I've gotten that out of the way, I'm going to start talking about tonight's topic, which is, as the title says, baggage. Dun, 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 dun. Anyway, insert your sound effect there. One of these years, I'll actually get proficient in using sound effects and make myself even stranger. So, baggage, what it is, what am I talking about in this context? Why am I bringing it up? And how do you get around baggage in the terms of connecting with loved ones you have lost, people on the other side, and even just trying to astral travel. Because, believe it or not, baggage is something that affects all of this. 
uh, all these topics. And I'm going to start out by explaining baggage, what it is in this context, because it's, it's something we all carry. Let's face it. We all talk about baggage in the sense of relationships. You've been with somebody for a long time. You get used to the way that they do things and the way they impact your life and the stuff that you expect them to do in response to your own, the way you stimulate them to react or just your existing, how, they st how you stimulate them to act around you and vice versa. It is a two-way street and it's just part of what happens when we couple up and become partners with somebody else and it's we imprint upon each other and it becomes in second nature to think about each other in these terms and pardon me the stomach is having its way with me right now so I apologize for that uh, so it is something that affects it's, it's normal it's natural we do it all the time and I will be honest that I've had my share of Ken bringing his baggage to me from his ex-wife. <laughs> and now I'm not necessarily um, going to say that I am innocent and that I don't carry baggage and I don't lay it on other people, but I haven't been in a relationship for, I don't know how long, uh, since he died. So we're going on six years. So, and you know, it is, it's, I still have a relationship with him. It's just massively different to not have the physical relationship. However, he's brought his baggage to me. I've brought my baggage to him, even in the altered circumstances. And I will get to how that works because it is something they say, there's a saying in the, uh, in the four psychic mediums that it is hardest to connect with the ones you love the most. And it's very true. I've experienced it. Even though from just about day one, he was shoving himself at me, telling me, I know you can hear me. I'm here. I haven't gone. I don't want you mourning so deeply, you know, and I'm still closed as, you know, closed up tighter than a clam. So all this stuff is going over my head. I know he's saying it, but part of me is going, this is just wishful thinking. This is just grief etc, etc. I'm making excuses as to why I'm thinking this way, not knowing who I really am underneath the mask, as it were. And that's baggage. That's me going, no, I'm not this, I'm not a psychic. I'm not able to hear him. This is just my imagination because of course he would say these things. And he has a way of putting it um, that makes sense and I've said it myself before to people who um, I've read for and just in general it is of course they're saying these things because they will say these things and they would say these things because that is them that is who this person is the death does not change their verbal their verbal patterns their verbal tics their phrasing the way they use words and it's them so People are expecting, and even me to a degree, that the stuff you're that you're that's coming through to be somehow different, and it isn't. That's the thing, and so we're expecting that, and we're carrying our baggage and thinking, "Nah, that's just that's not right," because that's how they would always say that. So, how am I to believe that? Because it is so familiar to you. It is so natural to for them to speak like that in your head that it feels imaginary in many cases because it's baggage. 
it is what they would say and you're not used to the idea that well they're dead just doesn't just, just means they don't have a physical body it just doesn't mean their brain has changed or undergone a transformation they're still that person that you knew and they're just because they're dead again as i keep repeating doesn't mean they have changed and that is that can be a, that can get in the way of somebody who's just trying to reconnect with their loved one and now i have said this before i will say it again that it is very possible for people to reconnect with somebody they've lost because you are so tuned into that person that your their death does not doesn't turn off that radio station it makes it you can still pick them up you can still talk to them uh you know jdad or kmom and you're still able to hear the person and it's not always going to be fulsome conversations especially in the beginning but you're going to hear the things that they would say because of course they would say that and because you are anticipating something else like hi honey i'm on the beach on the other side and it's so awesome here and the margaritas are great and wonderful and oh my god this tan and oh you should see the pool boys they're so good looking. You know, if you're expecting a conversation like that in the beginning, it's not going to happen because you have to get through your A, baggage. B, they have to adjust to life on the other side. The same, you know, it's like it's being kind of being like being reborn, but we've all been there before. It's just in a new environment because when we go home, we go home to the place we love the most. And I know I'm being vague, but everybody's what they feel is that they love the most is different for everybody. So that's one th that's another thing they have to do. They have to figure out how things work on the other side. They have to get used to it. They have to adjust and they're still figuring out how to move around and get back and forth between one side or the other and what are they going to do for the next, you know, few decades until people start re start arriving home. There's a lot of stuff to do. It's like making a big massive move to a place where you kind of know the people around you, but you don't really. But everything's familiar. And if you've ever had dreams like that, which I do all the time, you know, it's um, it's like that, only a little with for more permanent, so to speak. You ain't coming back to your body after death, obviously. Anyway, so your initial conversations with somebody on the other side, and you can, people who are looking for their loved ones can communicate with them. It's just not going to be great. It's not going to be deep. Uh, it's not going to do it that way for some time. And so in the meantime, you're going, well, wait, why am I not getting the full picture here? Why am I not getting details that, uh, you know, that I know this person knows? Well, maybe they're telling you, you can't hear it. Uh, and maybe your own perceptions and biases about the other side are getting in the way, which is very common. Or maybe it's just something that they don't want to talk about because I've run into that as a medium. There are topics that the dead don't want to go near and they will walk away on me. They will walk out of my ability to hear out of my hearing range, just like a physical hearing range. They'll walk out of my, my internal hearing range and not talk at all. That's happened as well. So that is just, it's, you know, and how many times have in life have people walked out on arguments? And how many times do people walk out on things they don't want to talk about? It's the same when you're dead. So people are going to react the same way, not because they're dead, but because they're still people. And your bias is going to say, well, I did something wrong or 
my God, I'm, you know, um, they're, they're not talking to me about this. Well, there's any number of reasons, like I said, and sometimes they are the same as they would have been when they were alive. Death doesn't make you want to just be an open book for everybody. I have also run into that because uh, a lot of the dead people are afraid I'm going to go rummaging, rummaging around in their minds and pick out secrets they don't want to come out. So uh, now that is something, honestly, that I sometimes can do to Ken, but not always. And that's somebody who I'm very close to on an emotional and spiritual connection basis. Now, Linda can pick anything out of her head, and she's had the dead do stuff. And it's actually kind of funny, which is why I'm laughing, what some of the things I've seen. The dead do go to extreme lengths to keep her from hearing the truth of what uh, we're trying to figure out. So, you know, sometimes she can pick things up, and even as strong as she is, she can still get blocked out. Happens. So those, I'm bringing all that up because it needs to be understood that the same thing goes on on the other side as it does here. Even though I'm a medium and uh, we can get more information than we should ever know because we don't know the people we're talking to, sometimes the dead just don't want to talk or they don't want to go there and they'll get up and out of the room. So if you're not hearing the conversation, it's because it's not happening. And you're going to fill in that gap, that blank, that lack of conversation with doubts. You're going to be bringing in your own baggage because it's just like, oh my God, I had this argument with them when they're alive and now this argument's not being resolved when they're dead. And oh my God, uh, is this for real? Is this happening? Is this my life now? Stuff like that is going to come through your head. And honestly, what I found with, with the dead is that when they are ready to talk about it, they do just like it is us with the living. When we're ready to talk about it, we will. But you have to, as um, you know, as a living person with a limited antenna, I, for lack of a better way to describe your ability to receive somebody's from uh, the dead, your limited antenna is going to be a frustration until you work and develop it, which comes with time and and exercising it. And you're just going to have to put up with these things and you're going to have to start learning how to set aside your baggage, which is really damn hard. I will be the first person to tell you this. I mean, I've been working with another mentor who's also a therapist for a few years. And while I have come a long way, it is, I'm nowhere near, I'm not going to, therapy, you don't always, some people never finish therapy. Some people need it to, to just support through their lives. For me, I've made progress, and that's another story for another time, in certain areas that had been hitched for a long time, and as what led me to talk about baggage, because I recently shed a big piece of my self-protective foundation that I use to protect myself against stuff from the other side, and I'm talking about everything good and bad, uh, just because I had no context and no interpretation, it was scary. The dreams are were, were, were garbage um, and nightmares. I protected my, I had to do what I could to protect myself from that. And I did it wholesale and eventually blocked the living daylights out of it to the most part. Although when you are blocking as a sensitive, you can't block everything. It still gets through and Ken can tell you all about it sometime. But um, so now as I'm nearing 50, I am leaving these things behind all of a sudden very quickly. And I'm kind of going, uh, what the hell just happened? I just left behind 
a big chunk of my own baggage, which was protecting myself against the other side and people in general. Because, um, you know, I've lived a life where I've had a husband who never supported me. Uh, he never protected me. And I have not lived with anybody for, for over 10 years. So I've been on my own for a while. But I have family who did the same thing. So I had a pattern of realizing I'm never going to have a partner who protects me. So why bother picking a partner who might protect me? Because I, at this point in my life, I don't, I would feel smothered. But maybe had I recognized that something many years ago, I would have had a better outcome in terms of my choice of partners. So there you go. That's baggage. And I'm bringing this up because it affects everything in my life, including the sensitivity. And I'm also telling the stories because it's not unique to me. This is not unique to me by any means. And there might be somebody out there listening who will recognize this and understand that they need to examine the why they are doing what they are doing and explore if it works for them, if they should keep it, or if it's time to jettison and start finding a different way of building a protection. So instead of me wrapping a, a mental blanket around myself, I am now putting a physical, physical to me, barrier because empath isn't when you're an empath to all psych, all psychics are empathetic but some people are just empathetic naturally and don't necessarily have a psychic ability but empathy you have to have a what feels like to you a physical shield against others emotions and keep them from getting in because not only are you dealing with your own baggage you're dealing with other people's baggage and in the, I mean, in the last few months, I've only realized that I have been picking up on stuff from the living and living thoughts. And that is kind of freaky to me because I don't want to know what goes on in people's minds. The dead are enough. Thank you very much. But as I'll be sitting there and somebody will get very emotional in a conversation on me, I know what's going on in their head. It's, it's not words. It's empathic. But when you're an empath, you translate the emotions into words. So I'm like, I, I, I've had to, I, it, I will be caught off guard. I will not know this happens until it, I, I, my head goes, my body shakes or twitches, or I have a, what's called a tic de la roe, which is part of trigeminal neuralgia. Your head, your, your chin literally pulls over to your shoulder and snaps back when it releases. My grandmother had it and I have it and I, it sucks. So I don't want to be doing a tic de la row in front of somebody who's having an emotional moment. It's not, it, it, it doesn't, it looks very strange. Anyway, so this is how my baggage has affected me. It has affected my life. It has affected my ability as, as you know, as a sensitive, as a psychic medium. And it's part of my progression. And I guess you could say this is kind of a check-in on that. But this is also for people who have maybe had experience, similar experiences and are trying to figure this out. So this is for anybody who's listening, who wants to reconnect to a loved one and are having issues. Step back and look at your own interpretation and uh, perception of the situation. What kind of a lens are you viewing the situation as? Are you not getting a deep, meaningful conversation from this person because this is something that um, you want to get back to, but you can't because of whatever reason. Is it your own perceptions going 
to you. So you're getting, okay, let me put it to you this. Let me put it this way. You're getting surface conversation, which is just, hi, hello. How are you? I love you. You're wonderful. Um, I'm sorry about this. So the conversations might be very emotional, which is something I experienced with Ken for the longest time. However, in his case, he wanted me to know it because that kind of emotional communication wasn't there in our relationship. And he was not, he didn't have a problem with the fact that the majority of the communication we had was on an emotional level. And that went on for a long time because there was a lot of stuff we had to, to hammer out and beat and, and beat down and get through to get back to the Mutt and Jeff characters that we played with one another. And we have been back there for some time, but it had to be done. And so if you're trying to reconnect with somebody who you miss dearly, a friend, a parent, you are going to go through the emotional stage and it is going to be there regardless because you are going to be in that level of their head, which is the emotional part. You might get conversational stuff, but it's easier, far easier to translate emotional things, even if you're not empathic, because humans have emotional components, unless you are part of the, um, the psycho, or psycho or sociopathic uh, uh, parts of human, human brains, human minds. Um, and even though, even those types, they still have some kind of emotion, just not as deep as we do. And so as, as we do, excuse me, not as deep as normal minds and, or a neuro, neurotypical minds. Take your pick. I'm trying to be a little too correct here, I think. But anyway, so you will reinterpret the emotion first because it is just the easiest. Your logical brain the brain that actually carries the baggage because your emotional reaction builds into your logical perception of things is going to say, well, this ain't right. Is this somebody else? Is this not the person I'm talking to? I'm not getting anything I don't already know. Uh, and th that's the fact of is, why would you get something that you don't already know? People do have secrets, yes. But when you are intimate with somebody in terms of an emotional relationship, and I mean intimacy in the fact that, um, like, I'll put it to you this way. My mom and I are very close, and we know pretty much everything about each other on that mother-daughter relationship level. And I, so that is one, a definition, ooh, I can't speak all of a sudden, definition of an intimate relationship between a parent and a child. Uh, an intimate relationship between a partner is, um, you know, you have an additional uh, aspect of sex and the hormones that make us bond, uh, which is escaping my head right now. And but you have this, you have a hormone that makes you bond with your partner through sex. And for friends, you have also a similar emotional connection that when it's broken, it's, you know, it's like your brain's, your junkie brain has been cut off from it. Junkie as in drug user junkie. So it's, um, you know, when you lose people like that, your brain gets hurt. It, it makes you feel physically hurt. The connection is gone. It doesn't have its drug of choice anymore, being in the form of that person. And so when that person who you have lost tries to connect with you not long after their death, because they do, you're going to be in a state of pain. You're going to be in a state of shock and you're not going to have much confidence in what you're experiencing. And it's made worse by the fact that you can't 
pick up everything you want to because you're missing the physical you're missing the the the, the body's come the body chemical connection that brought you to the that made your relationship deeper that brought you to them in the first place that deepened the relationship over time and when they're physically gone you are cut off from that and your brain is going to take a lot of work to produce that again i mean it's something that i'm just now really feeling with ken and it's been how long did i say almost six years my bot my brain is finally saying the part of my brain is finally saying okay it's all right to feel this way again and you're not going to get hurt again and you're not going to lose him again a lot of work has gone into that and that's why we say as mediums it's very hard to connect with somebody you lose it's a physical thing it's a mental thing and people who are not uh, mediums and sensitives are have a much more difficult time of it so it's and it's a large part due to baggage part of it is the physical the physical i'd say is is not nearly as strong a component as the emotional aspect of loss dealing with the loss expecting more from somebody who's dead when you are already getting everything they've got and your brain's ability to can just accept this there's a lot of components that have to come into work again and that they have to the, the gears have to turn they have to mesh they have to work in time with one another and you have to be able to set aside your baggage or your disbelief or your preconceived notions of who this person is now that they're dead because they're just because they're dead as i keep saying does not mean they are somebody else that you have never met so it is work and it sucks but again it's worth it especially if you would like to be able to get to a point where you can just slip into meditative state and just feel like you're with them again and go along with the feeling that your brain's saying well this is fantasy and you just tell your brain so what who cares let's have fun and you let it go some people can do it quickly you know there's some people that can can get there with very little effort some not but not everybody can and this is for the majority of people who can't this this podcast is and this is just basically to try don't give up put aside your baggage as much as you can put aside your preconceived notions i mean one of the things that i kept picking up from ken early on was one of his favorite phrases do bear shit in the woods when it came to an you know a captain obvious kind of statement so all I heard all the time when I would be thinking about something and just trying to work my way through it was, well, do bears shit in the woods? It's like, thanks, bud. You're not helping. But that is one of his stock standard phrases, especially as a dad who would deal with uh, trolling his, his kids. You know, dads are always the master trolls, as any dad listening will know. So it was, for me, it was like, change the channel buddy so i can have something else to ponder to make sure that i'm on track with you you know not that i was worried i was not talking to him it was so much am i talking on the same thing that you i think i am perceiving from you it it, it got frustrating but again master troll would be like not how do i put it not very uh relenting on making it easier on me you know because you got to work hard to get where you're going so anyway 
on that note, I'm going to shift over, because I mentioned in the beginning, uh, about astral travel and how baggage affects astral travel as well. The something, now I've said in the past in a, in a, uh, in a podcast that astral travel is actually pretty easy. And it's not something that takes a lot of effort. Now, people, okay, I'm going to go a little sensitive here. People who have been victims of abuse know how to leave their body. And I say that from somebody who has a lot of experience leaving their body while abuse is happening. You, as when you are undergoing abuse, you feel like you have just checked out of the world and that your body is taking the pain because you have no control over what's going on and you're unable to escape your perpetrator. So your head checks out, your head goes somewhere and you don't know where you can't identify it. You don't know where it is. When you come back, you couldn't tell anybody where you went because you don't know. You just know that you were not there because it was the only thing you could do in that time to get through what was happening. And, um, that actually is a form of astral travel. And I'm not trying to say that everybody who astral travels is an abuse victim. Absolutely not. But for many of us who are abuse victims, we find our way out of our bodies and we travel. We go somewhere so we can endure what is going on. Because otherwise, if we were, in our, if we were present in our bodies during the time of the torture, uh, we would be broken, so broken mentally. So, and this is very true of any kind of abuse, uh, physical, mental, um, you know, torture, whatever, take your pick. We do leave our bodies. So this is coming from the perspective of somebody who does, who knows how to leave their body without effort, but it's also something that, um, people make more difficult than they should. And I'll give you an example. There's a, a subreddit about astral travel and, there is a lot of talk, uh, a lot of posts I see about following formulas or following steps to work on leaving the body. And I read these titles and I'm like, I'm, uh, I, I just like, no, no, not how it works. They're just selling a system to sell books. You know, I'm being cynical here. It works for some people, but not everybody, and it actually can make it more difficult for them to to actually travel because there's this idea that somehow you're go you have to really truly leave your body. When people think about leaving their body, they think about how of the stories of people who are having surgery and they they briefly die during the surgery, and they can talk about the stuff that they see in in the um, the OR or during um, there's a let's see. I'm trying to remember. There's a there's a surgeon who recently bought a wrote a book or that about his travel his his own journeys while he was on, in a, a medically induced coma. So they're basing their ideas of astral travel by and large on somebody else's pre you know their experience their their concept their perception of what it is to tra astral travel when all it has to do when all you really have to do and it's very simple is visualize yourself outside of your body. You'll turn around and look at yourself. You may not see yourself clearly. That's okay, because it's just kind of yourself protecting yourself from yourself. And you might notice that if you look down, you'll see a cord, a silver cord. It's usually silver because it's easier to see, silver or bright white. 
connecting yourself to yourself. And when you see that cord, you know that you have left your body. And seriously, it is that simple. It's just, and when you disconnect yourself like that, you're not truly disconnected from your body because you need your body. You need to be able to come back to your body. And that cord is what anchors you to your body. But that does not stop your mind from wandering, you know, as I'm fixing a hole where the rain gets in. And as the flame goes, and keeps my mind from wandering where it will go. Apologies for the bad uh, off-key singing there, but, you know, it's a favorite Beatles line. It, um, it really is simple like that. It, the, the key here in that song is where, my, where it will go. You, when you astral travel, the desire to control where you are going is strong and natural. It is because you want to make sure you know where you're going. However, when you try to retain that kind of control, you limit yourself, you limit your travel, you don't go as far as you think you do, and you don't have the experiences that you're looking for because you are seeking to control it in a direct manner. And I'll say this much, you can't control things directly because it doesn't work like that. Your body, sure, you can control directly. You can control this life around you directly. You can control things in even in astral travel, like physical objects uh, you can control. But you can't really give yourself an expectation of where you're going because you just can't. It's, you have to do it as sideways. So you kind of have to look out of the corner of your eye where you're going. And because when you look out of the corner of your eye, the, this, your destination will all of a sudden come into solid view. It's, how, it's just all of a sudden, boom, it's there. You're where you want to be. Because you are bridging a gap of time and space and you're going somewhere. So, and it, but it doesn't, it feels real, but it doesn't because you are connected to your body. Now, take somebody, take what I just said and, you know, and think about, about all the instructions and ways of doing things and, you know, how you do this and how you do that to astral travel, compare it. What I just said is pretty damn easy. The worst part about it is, well, you kind of have to give up a little bit of control, but as far as a vibrational stage goes, it doesn't exist. It's just something that changes your, you know, vibration is, every time I say that word in terms of, <laughs> of a vibrational stage, and I'm trying, and I'm, because the troll is trolling, I see a, um, an adult toy in my head. It's really shifting frequencies. So frequencies, yes, are a vibration, but they are not strictly a vibration in the way they're talked about in certain circles of astral travel. The frequency you are tuned into, because all this stuff, there's a lot of, uh, actually, more. I see more descriptions of connecting to the dead as like being a, connecting to a radio station. I'm the tuner on the dial. I'm spinning around the dial. I'm trying to connect with the radio station, in this case, uh, WKEN. And I connect by letting myself slow down. I connect with WKEN. But if I want to talk to somebody else, I go around the dial until I can find their radio station. So it's a frequency thing. I'm tuning into somebody else's frequency. It's not a vibration. And we're, we're all basically radio stations and we all have antennas to receive them, whether they're living or dead. Some of us, as I have said in the past, have more antennas than the other. And that's just... 
not a slam. It's just how it is as a psychic medium that you are a radio station picking up on stuff from everywhere. And it's, it's not always fun. So trust me on that. And, um, but we all can do this stuff. We can all travel and not all of us have to do it as sourced out of based in trauma experiences. We can do it. And as long as we are gentle on ourselves and as long as we are slow, and as long as we leave our baggage to one side, and baggage means, in, my, in the case of astral travel, taking somebody else's idea of what astral travel is, or your own internal perceptions of what astral travel is, without actually having traveled, and not realizing. People don't realize they travel. We travel in our dreams all the time. But the whole idea of being able to control, somebody else tells you you're supposed to reach a certain mm -hmm, vibrational stage uh, before you can travel. You know, that's baggage. That doesn't help. And I mean, it may work for people because it gives them a set of series of steps and it makes it makes them feel like they are actually achieving something because, you know, we're taught to level up like in video games and, you know, that's how we progress as humans is that we get better at what we do. And we, uh, pardon me, uh, get to a level of mastery and then we teach others because that's how we do it as humans and that's how we keep ourselves going and that's how we keep existing yada yada but when it comes to the astral travel and just even connecting to somebody who was close to us it is yes a bit like the leveling up in a video game and you do expand your abilities the more you try but it is different for everybody how I perceive something is different sometimes from what Linda perceives. Uh, we do have more an alignment in terms of how we perceive things than not. But she'll hear something, she'll hear Ken say something clear as a bell in her ear. And I'll hear a whisper. Um, and that's when he's talking in her ear and when he comes back to talk in my ear. I don't have the same clarity. Um, maybe I will. Well, actually, it's coming back. I'm hearing more in my ear than not, but my body still wants to freak out because it's a shock. That's another story. Um, so I'm working on saying no shock, not necessary. It's we know who this person is. We don't need to freak out every time we hear his voice. It's not that scary. And again, my own body has baggage and I'm working on my own body to drop that baggage. And ultimately, I will get there. It takes time. It takes work. And I'm tired of work because it sucks, but I will do it because it is worth it. And that's the ultimate takeaway here. The value of what you're doing. You have to make sure that you are willing to go through this, what it takes to lose your baggage. You have to know, have a good foundation to replace what you put, what you decide that you need to throw out. And that you are just wanting to change how you view things and perceive things because I say this much if you are determined to talk to somebody who has passed the work you do to talk to them will also affect how you view your life so it will make a change that you may not be ready for or you are ready for it just depends on where you are in your life but sometimes losing baggage is a good thing because it keeps your eyes open wider keeps you more appreciative of things and what is going on in life and the world around you and gives you a bit of ability to just sit back and relax and go, you know, 
Don't sweat the small stuff because it's all small stuff. And that's what baggage does. It makes the small stuff big. So the more you get rid of it, the better it is. And on that note, I am reaching 40 minutes here. So I am going to stop talking before my throat goes raw. And I lose my breath for the umpteenth time because I'm having mild asthma. I love the change in weather from cold to warm. It just brings all kinds of crap with it. And my allergies go, hey, it's time to party. So on that note, I'm going to wind it up. And uh, as always, if you want to find me, my email will be in the description box below. And I will at some point be a little more regular on getting out podcasts because I do have ideas backed up. I was actually going to talk about karma tonight. And oh, by the way, the word I could not find when I talked about religion, and I feel so stupid, was Islam. I don't know why my head could not get Islam for the life of me. But it was there on the edge of my perception and teasing me and going, Haha, you can't grab it. So now I find, and afterwards I was reading and I said, oh my God, I'm trying to think of Islam. So apologies for that one. I was trying hard, but my brain again had shut down and I was too much in the flow to pause and go Google. <laughs> anyway, on that note, enjoy the weather as it warms up. Don't be fooled just because we have a vaccine out there that everything's safe again. It is not safe. And I tell you that from just a general feeling of we're not out of this yet. And the, the more we, the longer we stay safe and practice social distancing and high and mask hygiene and personal hygiene, the sooner we're out of it. We, yes, a year is a long time and everybody's tired, including me. But if we want to just not spend more years like we used to do during polio outbreaks and worrying if our children were going to get to adulthood because of childhood diseases, you know, we, we, we can do this. We are strong. People are strong and we can do this and we can get through this and we can get back to normal sooner the longer we practice safety. So I don't admonish often, but that's just a feeling that comes from multiple sources that I'm getting out there. Anyway, on that note, be well, everybody. Thank you again for listening and putting up with my, uh, my lackadaisical publishing schedule. The next episode will be on karma and uh, discussing its role in this life and the afterlife or lack thereof. And that's a teaser for y'all. And be well, take care, and uh, we'll see you on the flip side. Have a fun.